0: Jesus, put your hands together one more time and give him some praise, if you would. Could I impose on somebody to bring me a little bottle of water i put the back? I'd sure appreciate that. Thank you. <clears throat> it's a little tickle in the throat this morning. I'd like, if you would, to go ahead and let's stand one more time. I know you've gotten comfortable, but we have three little short, singular verses for our message text today as we finish this series. Thank you, sweetheart. I will drink after you any day. Thank you. A little tickle here. Thanks. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30. Let's read together. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me in the land that I should not destroy, it, but I found none. Move with me, if you would, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2. I looked at it wrong. Chapter 2 and verse 5, and this is... The man who God finds to stand in the gap. Let's read together. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Last verse this morning, this one is a commentary on not only what Jesus did at the cross as the gap man, filling in the breach, standing in the gap between heaven and earth, being suspended on the cross, But this shows what he is currently and presently doing right now. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Everybody say intercession. To intercede is to make an entreaty in the behalf of someone else. You stand as a representative for an individual appealing to a higher power that typically holds the destiny of that lower individual in his hand. If we talk about an earthly, it could be his or her, someone who sits on a a judge, uh, an honor, um, someone in a position of authority. We are talking about particularly the one of the greatest honor who sits as the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the universe, and that is our Heavenly Father. So this morning, if you would bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. And let's ask God to bless this. Father, we thank you that your presence is already here this morning in so many ways. Lord, in the sweetness of worship, Lord, in the power of communion, in remembering your broken body and your shed blood for us that you also shared with us. Father, we thank you today that in the middle of all of this, I just acknowledge before you and everyone here that I cannot do anything apart from you. I'm utterly dependent upon you, Holy Spirit. Get in the middle of this thing and open eyes and ears. Give us perception and understanding. The Bible says in Proverbs that the seeing eye and the hearing ear, the Lord hath made them both, and I just cry out to you, Lord. I intercede for this congregation, and on my own behalf, that Spirit of the living God, you're the only teacher that you do what you do best, I ask you for that. This task this morning is huge. Thank you for this amazing high priestly prayer of Jesus that we're about to look at. And I just ask you, oh God, that I would in some way be able to just do it justice. Spirit of God, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said, Amen. amen. We began this series not quite four Sundays ago, a little bit more because we missed one due to... Heavy rains and leaks in the sanctuary and all that. But we started with what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer, found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, also in Luke 11. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We talked through that. It gives us a pattern on how to pray. Not just 66 words to spit out by rote, but an outline of great and grand things. We don't start off asking, but we worship God first. Second week we picked up and Pastor Haley did an amazing job giving us a glimpse at what Jesus had to say about prayer that's prayed by the overly religious person and the person that just knows he's a sinner. Uh, this series called Relator Prayers is to give us a, a, a big picture glimpse at what Jesus says about prayer so that we can learn to start this year as disciples of Christ to do what God said to do. When you pray, say, and you begin to lift up the things that God says that if we pray according to his will then we will have the petitions that we've desired of him if we pray according to his will you don't have to worry about your prayer being answered first of all God never leaves prayers unanswered he just may not give you the answer that you want God God will give you a red light which means stop, no he'll give you a a caution light which means no wait, it's, it's, it's there but this is not the time yet so just slow down, hang on, be patient or he'll give you a full green light that says go ahead so God always answers prayer just may not be the answer that you thought you needed to hear. And many times when it's not, it's because God is holding something in, uh, I, I, I believe in the wings, so to speak, to use a theatrical term, in the, in the, on the edges. He's holding something that you have not yet seen, that according to His purposes is going to be something greater than. Many times I want to tell you this, the greatest blessing that God has ever done for me is not answering some of the prayers that I have prayed. Now some of you might know what I'm talking about. But some of the greatest things that God has ever done is holding back and not giving me the answer that I thought I was supposed to have in order to reveal a greater blessing that was according to His will. So we move from the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer technically, and Haley picked up the next week and showed us what Jesus had to say about two different people praying, and it's the typical view of the Pharisee, the one who knows all the right words, dresses the right way, he's accepted among the, quote, religious culture, He's the the Christian professional at this time. He's the obvious Jewish Pharisee in that context. But really, Jesus says, I didn't even pay. The Father doesn't even hear that guy because he's not praying out of a heart of genuineness. And there is a Pharisee who's standing in the temple and he is basically doing it to be seen of men and he's doing it for the show and there's a sinner who quietly smites his breast and says, Oh God, forgive me, a sinner. And the Bible says that's the one that God paid attention to and answered his prayer. So it's not about some kind of religious performance. It's not about wordiness or theological concepts or knowing a Greek word or a or or a Hebrew idea, it's not about being able to put it in the most beautiful King James, Shakespearean, Elizabethan, however you want to describe it, English, it really comes out of just flowing out of a heart of honesty and integrity, not being in denial about your junk, because everybody in the room's got some junk, look at your neighbor and say, I've got some junk, so you thought I was going to tell you to tell them you've got some junk, but let's just let's be real and say, I, I, I got some baggage that I carried in, and there's some things in it i really rather you not even know anything about. If we're honest, if we're telling the truth, and we're not playing Sunday go-to-meet-and-church games, everybody in here is still in process. T.D. Jake said it this way, He said, it amazes me that while God is still in the process of transforming me, he has called me to be a messenger of that very gospel of transformation, which means I'm declaring something that's not even yet finished in myself. So knowing that, I I move and operate from a place of grace. Pastor Jeremy picked up the next week, and he gave us a beautiful understanding of John chapter 9, where Jesus says, Father, I've come to this hour, and my soul is troubled. I'm vexed. Many of us don't ever think about Jesus being in that kind of place, but he knew what was before him. He knew knew the road that was ahead. This was in John 12, and he was about to spend some very intense time with his disciples, pouring into them concerning the coming Comforter, the Holy Spirit that would come and descend upon them and fill them from the inside out. Once he had fulfilled the calling that was upon him, he was headed to the cross, and he says, Father, I've come to this hour, and should I say... Remove this cup from me. And he says, no, it's for this very reason that I was born and I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Pastor Jeremy showed us that even Jesus himself knows what it means to be grief-stricken and in a place of having your soul troubled and vexed and that he gave us an example of what it means to cry out to God in pure honesty in those places. And this morning it is my privilege and it is an overwhelming challenge to try to bring to you this other grand passage of Scripture, which really technically is the Lord's Prayer. If you have a Bible in front of you, it shows at the heading in some of them, it will say the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ in John 17. This morning, I want to take just a couple of minutes to give you an illustration on how I'm going to do this and why I'm doing it. 1979, I graduated high school, West Memphis, Arkansas, and went to the fall, went to Arkansas State University uh, in the business college, and I pledged a fraternity. I pledged Tau kappa epsilon, and the reason that I did, I got a bid from a couple of different ones, but I did this one because I'd made friends with a bunch of the guys in the fraternity that actually loved Jesus with all their hearts. It was a crazy thing you always think of greek society of fraternity of sorority just being a bunch of hedonistic teenagers that are totally completely immoderate in no in any kind of way in every kind of way rather and, 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 you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and all this kind of stuff. But out of the hundred that were members of this fraternity, 30 of them literally had had a real experience of being born again. There had been a revival on campus that was moving in and throughout the sororities and Bible studies going on all over the places, all hours of the day and night in dorm rooms, and the number of the churches in the city had been touched by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The charismatic movement had come in the 1970s. And it had hit the Methodist church big time and folks at Central Baptist and, and, and the Catholic church. A number of folks had really, truly been born again and filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was rocking the city, baby. And I'm telling you, we had a time. We were, we were having prayer meetings and get-togethers. And, and there were so many people that loved Jesus in that fraternity, they had to make sure they had a great big stockpile of soft drinks for everybody who at that time was committed to not doing the whole drunk, dr- get drunk binge kind of drinking thing that typically college students do. And so we we saw the move of God touch the university. I met my wife there and we became friends and started seeing each other and a few years later got married. We're 28 years into it now, so I think it's going to last. Where is she? I thought it was going to (laughs) last. And I love you, baby, wherever you are. Um, And so we got married. Well, back to the first year, first semester, I befriended a young guy who was from Zenith, Missouri, and whose family was in the crop dusting business, and Rick had his own plane. It was a little single crop duster plane. And he said, Mike, I want to take you up in the plane and just let you see Jonesboro from up in the air. And, I, you know, I'd flown on a jet before, but uh, a little single plane where bugs are hitting me in the face, and I'm right behind him, and he's saying, whatever you do, don't put your feet on those pedals down there. And I'm going, huh? (laughs) So we went to the airstrip, drove out there at the time, which is not much of an airport in Jonesboro, and we got in our, my car and drove out there, and then we got in his plane, and we're taking up, and I'm white-knuckling it, baby, and I'm calling on Jesus. And, and he, he does some stunts. He actually did a turnover, and he said, you know, don't let go. You got your seatbelt on, right? Well, he flew me all over Jonesboro, and he says, there's the mall, and there's Caraway Boulevard, and as we fly over, there's Stadium, and there's the university and we flew one out there and there's there's St. Bernard's Hospital and oh, out to the edge of the city and there's the convent, the, the Catholic sisters, the nuns. And, and so he shows me all these landmarks and we, we fly back toward town as we're heading to the airport and down there is the mall. And I'm thinking about how when I'm looking at it from this big huge flyover position that I'm seeing things that you can't see when you're on the ground. I'm thinking about there's the mall and I know that there are several dozen stores in that mall, which I can, on two feet, walk into and see all kinds of products, treasures, so to speak, that are in every one of those stores. But I'm up in the air, you know, several hundred feet, and I'm looking down and I'm seeing this polygon, this multi-sided, squared-off kind of a thing called the Indian Mall at the time, and I'm thinking about how flying from this position, I'm able to see things that I can't see on this level. Now, I can walk into that mall and I can spend time, literally days on end, walking in and out of all those stores, looking at all the products, and buying some and shopping and spending a lot of time. Well, the reason I gave you this illustration is that because the volume of this passage of prayer, all 26 verses of John 17, are the most intense, most powerful, most amazing prayer that Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples, and for you personally that's recorded in the Bible. 26 verses, every verse is like a shop inside the mall that I could take time to actually go into and show you the treasures in every one of those individual verses or shops in the mall. But because I only have about 35 minutes this morning, of which I've already taken about 10, I cannot dedicate this time to going into every one of those shops in the mall. I have to show you overhead and just tell you what's in every one of those shops. So this morning, as we look at this most powerful prayer in the Bible, the most powerful red-letter prayer that's prayed, it's going to give us an example of how we are to intercede for people. This is how Jesus stood in the gap for us. He made up the hedge. There was a breach. God the Father is looking through the prophet Ezekiel, and he finds no one. He doesn't come for several more centuries. And when Jesus comes, he becomes the mediator, the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So, as we look this morning, just by way of one little mother, one little other, <laughs> one little other point of uh, introduction. There are three God-empowered titles in the Old Covenant that every one of them were anointed. They had oil poured over them. They were men of significant stature, of great position. The first one is called the prophet. We've all heard of prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are all the little minor ones and the major ones. Somebody said one time, the last one is the Italian prophet, Malachi. (laughs) Bad preacher joke. Thank you, you love me and you laugh at my bad preacher humor. All those were prophets. Everybody say prophet. A prophet speaks for God to men. Second one is priest. The priest is the one who operated the daily chores in the tabernacle later on in the permanent temple He's overseeing, administrating the sacrifices that the people are bringing to deal with their sins. He's praying over the people. He's, he's slitting the throats of the bullocks and the, the rams and the doves, depending on the socioeconomic status of the offer. It depended on what they could afford to bring, whether it was a bull or a goat or a ram or a dove. And so he's overseeing that, he's slitting the throats, he's spilling the blood, he's slinging it against the brazen altar in the outer court. And the priest is representing those sinful people, those sinful men to God. He's a go-between, he's a stand-in-the-gap kind of person. Then finally, the last one that received an anointing in the Old Covenant was the one who stood in the office of the king. He rules with the authority of God. So the prophet speaks for God to men. The priest represents men to God and the king rules with the authority of God. Jesus Christ fulfills all three of those critically appointed and anointed titles and offices in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the prophet. Jesus Christ is the priest. Jesus Christ is the king. John 4, Jesus meets the woman at the well and she says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. This is one of numerous occasions where Jesus is called a prophet or called prophetic. This passage that we just read speaks of his priestly ministry. He is called the high priest of our profession, the book of Hebrews says. We know that he's the king of the Jews, but more than that, he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Say amen, somebody. Jesus Christ fulfills all three of these roles in the new covenant. Now, I just want you to see that when we look at John 17, it's particularly this priestly ministry. He is standing in the gap. He is Jesus Christ the gap man. How many of you ever shop at the gap? Anybody ever buy the gap? I mean, I, I buy so much stuff off the sale rack at the gap. Now, you can tell the difference whether someone is young and has no children or whether they're older with a mortgage and a house payment and a car payment. Because when you're young, you brag about how much you did pay for something. When you're old, you brag about how much you didn't pay. <laughs> hey, I like that sweater vest, Pastor Michael. Oh, I got this for $2 on the sale rack at Gap. <laughs> if you're not there yet, you'll know what I'm talking about in a few years. You get older, you got some mouths to feed. You got some education to think about in the future, you start looking for some sail racks, baby. Come on, somebody say some amens. And Gap is the, is the store that the company that owns all three, Old Navy, Gap, and Banana Republic. And Banana Republic's the high end, and Old Navy's the low end, and Gap is in between. And let me just tell you, I buy from all of them, and I look at the sail racks at all of them. And it's kind of the old model of the old Sears and Roebuck. Some of you are going to say, Sears and What? All you young ones are going to say, Sears and what? I I know Sears, but what's the Roebuck? Well, that's when you used to get the old catalog, and they had three degrees of what they call good, better, and best. And This is sort of on the old Sears Roebuck catalog model of Old Navy Gap and Banana Republic. And Gap is sort of the one in between. And so it fills the gap. Okay? I I I wear jeans from Gap. I, I buy shirts from Gap. And I get them on the sale rack definitely at Banana Republic. But there's this place of an intermediary. It's kind of a mediatorial. It's sort of in the middle kind of an approach. Okay, everybody say gap. So Jesus is the gap man. He's filling the gap in John 17. We have three principles that I want to give you, and it's going to be G-A-P. Now just go ahead. You can fill them in right now. Point number one, Jesus prays for the glory of God because the work is finished. Glory is the G in gap. He prays a gap prayer here, and all about this whole first section. There are three sections, verses 1 through 5, he prays for himself. Verses 6 through 19, he prays for his disciples that he had just trained for the last three and a half years. And then verses 20 through 26, he actually prays for you personally. You are in this bunch that he prays for in the last section. So he first of all starts off in Jesus' praise for the glory of God because the work is finished. Now let's jump in because I'm just going to have to. We're flying over and there's the mall right down there. And I'm going to show you only 26 of these stores and there's some products and treasures. Every one of these single verses, people, could be a whole 35-minute message. I know you're looking at me like, yeah, I bet you could do that. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) gift of gab, Pastor Michael. But if you knew what I'm sacrificing today to try to make this in a reasonable amount of times, everybody look at your neighbor and say, please pray for him. (laughs) This is Super Bowl Sunday, and I do not want to be still talking when the kickoff is going on. Uh, I'm just teasing. Here we go. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time. There's nothing like knowing that what you have been preparing for your whole life, you've come to that moment of destiny. Unlike ministry today, who prepare three and a half years for a 30-year ministry, Jesus flipped that and he prepared 30 years for a three and a half year ministry. And everything that he learned in the carpenter shop with his earthly father Joseph and from his mother Mary and his other brothers and sisters in the relationships, I know that it was... He was thinking, what, how is this going to fit in to the destiny? Now, he laid down all of his powers and the glory that he had with the Father before the world was, and he came and learned obedience by the things which he suffered, the book of Hebrews tells us. So he's actually learning the scriptures the same way you do. He's interacting with people. He's learning what it means to walk in forgiveness and to show love and to be patient with folks. He is... Every day learning lessons that are preparing him for being the gap man, the mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He's fully God, he's fully man, but yet he is submitting to earthly parents and he's learning, he's being corrected. I don't think it was ever an issue of sin, but I think Jesus had to learn things just like you and I do. Father, the hour has come. He knew that the moment for which he came into the earth was before him. He prayed John 17 and just three breaths after this is finished, the Roman soldiers show up and Judas kisses him. And the unraveling of the whole plot starts to take place with multiple trials through the night. And then Good Friday is revealed with the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, being suspended between heaven and earth. The gap man making up the gap between heaven and earth. And he says, Father, my time has come. The hour is here. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. He prays for the glory of God, the, the presence, the, the, the fulfillment of the purpose of God to be revealed. In verse 2, he says, since you have given him authority all over, over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Everybody say eternal life. Greek word zoe, very different from bios, biological life. Biology, from that same Greek word, logos is the word or the study or the account of, bios meaning life. So your biological life is bios, but the God kind of life is zoe. It's a different kind of quality of life. Eternal life is not just a long time in the sense of quantity, because if we're really technical, eternal life is no time at all. We've, we move outside of time. Now, see if you can get your brain around that. But eternal life is not just quantity, but it's quality of life right now. And it means that on this side of the eternal state, on this side of heaven, you have the quality of the life of God living on the inside of you. And it is eternal. If you can lose it, then it was temporary in the first place. Now, I I don't want to offend anybody. We have Heinz 57 varieties of victory. And let me just tell you, I labor hard to be a biblical preacher, which means sometimes I sound like a Baptist and sometimes I sound like a Presbyterian and sometimes I sound like a Pentecostal and sometimes I sound like a Methodist and I could go through because every one of those denominational bodies of believers have had at some point an opportunity to bring a portion of truth to the world as it was needed. Say amen. Amen. So I just want you to know, if I sound really like a Baptist this morning, then just say, give me a good Baptist amen. Because I'm telling you, if you can lose eternal life, it wasn't eternal in the first place. There is security. There is assurance of salvation. Once he's bought you, there is no losing you. It's not about you working to try to keep it. It's about his grace keeping you. It started, it was his grace that bought you in the first place. It's his grace that will keep you. Give me a good Baptist, amen. amen. This is just the word. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this and even defines it for us. This is what eternal life is. Or is this going up on the board so you can read with me? Yeah, okay. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's not a denominational structure. It's not a theological belief system or a political ideology. It's not going through certain motions, but it's just, do you have a relationship? Do you know the Father through Jesus? It's that simple. That's eternal life. Do you know Jesus? Have you got some Jesus in your life? That very simply is eternal life. It will radically change the direction, the destiny of your life. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Jesus is praying for himself. He said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now think about it. There are sick people yet, while he's praying this, who've not been healed. He preached the message of the coming kingdom, but there are some who still haven't heard it. There are some people in bondage that have not yet had those broken. Jesus walked by crowds and there were those who were healed and there were those who didn't receive it. There are people in other nations that have not heard the word yet. But Jesus says when he prays to the Father, I've finished the work you gave me to do. Let me tell you, saints, there is nothing more fulfilling than finishing a project. It just feels so good. Maybe it's a man thing, but when I can get something done and I can check it off my to-do list and my wife smiles, oh my goodness in heaven, Lord, I've got some fulfillment and some joy in my heart because I started something and I finished it. Look at your neighbor and say, finish what you started. (laughs) Too often people in our culture are long on I will and their commitment but then short on I did in finishing in following through. Start a degree plan and then life happens and and you have to take a break. Well, that's fine. Just don't quit. Just stay at it even it's just one class at a time. You're in a relationship and it's just not the best that you know that it could be. Well, that does not mean this is time to signal and apply for the big D word and head out the the door of divorce, but it means maybe you've got to make a decision to follow through and actually live out your vows where you where you love and you honor and you cherish and you respect. And I'm talking about it both sides back and forth. And somebody makes a decision to say, you know what? I stood in front of God and witnesses and I said that, that, that forsaking all others until death do us part in sickness and in health. I'm gonna, we're gonna make this thing work, baby. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna finish. We're gonna finish well. Oh my goodness, how many times do people start uh, Marathons, and then fall out before it's over with. I'm going to tell you, let me just tell you, I've been at this now. I'm in my 24th year of ministry here. And let me tell you, some of us are made for speed. Some of us, baby, are made for luxury. You're looking at a big old SUV in the kingdom of God here. This is not some little Miata with five speeds. This is not some little uh, Z3 or whatever little BMW that can whip around 200 miles an hour. You know what? It may take me a little while, but I'm going to get there because I'm just going to keep on plodding. And I'm going to keep on enduring. And it may take me a while to drag this big carcass up into whatever I got to do, but I'm 24 years into the 28 years in my marriage, baby. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep on keeping on until I can stand before him and say I have finished the work that you've called me to do. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I'm about to bring this blood I'm going to shed, and I'm bringing it with me, Father, to the heavenly tabernacle. I'm going to pour it on the heavenly altar, and the sacrifice is going to make up the gap. And these are your people who were turned from you because of their iniquity and their sin you're going to show them absolutely how much you love them and how crazy you are about them. You get to see God's refrigerator. Your picture is on it. Your picture is on God's refrigerator because he's so crazy about his children. Point number two Jesus prays to apply. Everybody say apply. It's the A and gap. He, see, he prays to apply the word security to the disciples. He says in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So much here. If, If I could stop and take you into the shop, I would talk to you about the power of attorney. And that Jesus has given us his name. He says, whatsoever you ask in my name, it shall be done unto you. Everybody say, Jesus when you say Jesus, you already have one signature on the two-party check of heaven and your faith is your name that you sign alongside that. It's the two-party check of faith. Jesus Christ has already given to you all of the promises of God which he says are yes. And when you say amen, that's, what, that's equivalent of you signing your name to the two-party check of heaven to make a withdrawal for the blessing of God in your life. It comes by grace as a gift through faith where you apprehend it and receive it. Don't shout me down. Somebody say amen. Come on. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they've kept your word. Verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Man. You can begin to operate in a, an understanding that whatever you're given, the job that you're on, the task at hand, the responsibility, the promotion, the increase, the family, the destiny, the vision, the dream, the goal, the desire, whatever's in your heart, because your heart has been fully and totally given to him, whatever he puts in your hand, it's there because it's a gift from God. And no enemy of hell can take it out. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. That's where eternal life begins. You hear it as he speaks it to you. He draws your heart and prompts you, and you believe it and then you receive it is the word of the Lord. Verse 9, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. Notice that. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but I think it's critical that I say this. It's my pastoral responsibility. There is is an old heresy that's dressed up in deceptive costume that's masquerading itself as new revelation in the body of Christ these days. And it's basically the old idea of universalism. That everybody's going to be saved and God's just going to wink at everybody and all the nations of the earth and all roads lead to heaven. Doesn't matter whether it's Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha or Zoroaster or any of the the polytheistic group of Hindu gods or any of those others whatsoever. There are people out there that I was in fellowship with a few years ago who've who've begun to embrace what we call the gospel of inclusion. It's just this concept that, hey, you know, everybody really is all children of God. It doesn't matter what you believe it's so long as you're sincere. Let me just tell you, you can be sincerely wrong. Jesus makes too many outstanding, outrageous claims that he himself said, I am the way, truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And if you believe that all truths are all truths basically are equal in terms of their claims... All truths are created, all truth claims are created equally, then you have to examine, then that means Jesus must be a liar then. Because if he said, No man comes into the Father but by me, that means there's no other way. He is not a way, he is the way. Somebody say amen. I love these brothers. I'm reaching to them. Been in fellowship with them in church and ministry years ago, and this thing is crawling like. A bad case of termites in the foundation of houses. And I just want you to see that there are still some sheep and some goats that the Lord is going to separate. I don't separate them. It's his responsibility at the end of the age to separate what he's going to call the sheep and what he's going to call the goats. Don't shout me down now, but it's the truth. Everybody's not going in. I'm praying for them, verse 9. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. Everybody say Judas. Judas. That the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's the reason right there God gives us any kind of instruction in the word is to make room for joy to fulfill you in your life, in your heart. It's all about joy in Jesus. Somebody say amen. I have given them your word, and the the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. You know, it's a crazy day that we live in this culture that right now one of the greatest sins you can commit is actually identifying something as a sin. You get on Facebook and you call something that a generation ago everybody knew was wrong, but you say something about it now, and everybody in their mind, everybody in the world loses their mind. You're a bigot. You're intolerant. And it's amazing how all of the ideas of liberalism teach us tolerance, but they're intolerant of everything except intolerance. And I just want you to understand, in the middle, in the day in which we're living, where worldviews are critical, and this is where I'm going to pause and make a station identification and tell you about an upcoming series starting next Sunday, it's called Blueprint. What you think matters. And sometimes we've so, as a society, been marinated in worldviews that we don't even know why we're making the decisions we're making. And you you can be a Christian. You can be bought by the blood of Jesus. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you're marinated in consumerism and humanism and relativism and all of this stuff, that motivates the way we make decisions in America, you will still be frustrating yourself and not have the blessing of God on your decisions because you're not making them out of a proper understanding of what the Bible has to say when it comes to worldview. You put on a set of glasses. This is how we interpret life around us. This year, my, my goal is to equip you as believers, our pastoral team, to equip you and help you grow in the knowledge of not just knowing that you're going to heaven. Oh, my goodness, that's that's just when you get your fresh start. That's when your life gets reset. Now, we got a whole bunch of stuff we need to get involved in in terms of what God wants us to do to advance his kingdom. And being able to understand this whole issue of worldview is so important. He says... I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. There are going to be some times in the days ahead of us, folks, when you take a stand for something that the Bible clearly says, and I don't mean in a preachy way or in a hate-filled kind of way, but you do it out of love, but you don't back up from speaking the truth because if there is no truth, there is no love. Did you hear what I just said? There's going to be opportunity for us to experience some of the world hating us. We don't create those opportunities. We don't ever get in a back room and paint signs that says God hates anything and go wave it in somebody's face because that's, that, that's, not, that's not preaching the gospel. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Westboro Baptist Church that paints all those signs from Kansas and they go visit all of these funerals for these poor soldiers that are dying and they paint all these God hates fags signs because they don't agree with the current stand of the military in terms of the don't ask, don't tell policy is no longer, and I don't want to stop and get too political here, but let me tell you something. The, 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 it is completely inappropriate and totally wrong, even if you are convinced in your mind, to get out there and hamper the peace that whatever family is trying to experience to bury their dead son or daughter who was a soldier protecting you to have the right to say that stuff, and people don't have any common sense anymore. Okay. I'm off my soapbox now. Let me get back to the word. That wasn't even in my notes. Maybe that's a little Dennis the Menace. Maybe if you don't agree, just pray for me, okay? That's the truth anyway. Um, number 15, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That one right there, that one line right there is enough t- to throw a cog into the machinery of escapism that has gripped the church for the last hundred years with making the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord become the false hope of something that's going to snatch you out of here let me just tell you right now I believe Jesus Christ is coming back to this planet in his physical flesh body I don't believe the church is going anywhere I believe you're going to go up in the air and meet him like a dignitary and come right back down but you know what, well, what about heaven? Well, what about granny? Let me tell you, the Bible says in Jude, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Hang on, granny's coming back with Jesus when he comes. <laughs> heaven is not someplace you're going to. Revelation 21 says, behold, I, John, saw the holy city coming down out of heaven from God to earth. You're not going up to it, it's coming down to you. And heaven and earth will become one because the gap man is hung between heaven and earth and brought them into unity in the spirit of which now we are still walking in the time of the, between the now and the not yet. The kingdom is, and yet the kingdom of God is still coming. It is not yet fully here. Are you hearing me this morning? Don't anybody go out of here and say, Pastor Michael doesn't believe in the second coming. I believe in the coming of the Lord. I just don't believe in the departure of the saints, this one verse right here throws a, 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 a cog into that whole machinery anyway. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Everybody say sanctified. Sanctified you need to be in the Bible every day folks this is you know I'm not trying to put a great big huge burden on your back but if it's just a couple of verses every day get the word of truth down into your heart feed eat off the manna of heaven hide the word of the Lord in your heart the Bible says so that you might not sin against the Lord Psalm 119 verse 11 all scripture is God breathed and given by inspiration of God profitable for teaching instruction correction Training in righteousness that the people of God, the man of God, may be thoroughly furnished, equipped for every good work. You need to be in the word. Listen to me. Hear me. If this is the only spiritual meal you've had all week long, you've been starving yourself. And a 30-minute little sit-down meal with me is not going to make you be the strong man or woman of God he's called you to be. Don't patty cake. Praise God. Come on, if you're going to do it. Too many times we've got folks, now you know what your brand new baby, it's all about feeding a brand new baby. You put a bottle in his or her mouth, you set him at the table, but even the little youngest child at five, six, seven months old desires to pick up the spoon and start to become a self-feeder. Don't be 20 years old in your walk still expecting somebody to feed you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up. Maturity is about being a self-feeder. Let me tell you something. You, you want to know where I really have church all week long? Every morning at about five thirty-six o'clock with my coffee and a little bit of worship music, and I'm sitting in my sunroom, and I'm looking out over my patio, and I'm hearing the water flow in the little pond back there, and, and I'm in the presence of Jesus. That's where I have church. When I come in here, this is work. Now, you might have church. I hope you're blessed by it. But let me tell you something. If I haven't been in the presence of God every day all week long, eating, drinking, getting encouraged, getting strengthened, getting filled up, I wouldn't have anything to say when I did walk in here on Sunday morning. And if we could grow up a little bit and stop just thinking, well, I got to go like to the filling station. I got to get my tank full on Sunday. You know what? If you'd be topping that thing off every day in your own personal prayer time and a devotional time and in the Word, you would come in here with a tank so full you'd spill off over on somebody else. Help me, Holy Ghost, to finish this. Mm. Last section. Are you getting anything out of this today? Number three, Jesus prays to perfect The unity of believers so that the world may know. He's standing in the gap. He's interceding. He's praying in verses 1 through 5, the first section for himself. The middle section, verses 6 through 19, he's praying for his disciples. Then, last section, he prays for you. You, in 2013, you on the front row. You, Charlie Dabbs, who get in those patrol cars and you drive to hell-bent, evil-infested areas of town and you extend the order of the kingdom of God behind a badge and behind something that can stop them in the name of Jesus. Pray for this man. Pray for our firemen, our policemen, our officers. Because of them, we're able to live godly and quiet and peaceable lives in the kingdom of God. Why are y'all so quiet? Jesus prays to perfect the unity of believers so that the world may know. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, who are these, the disciples he's just prayed for, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Peter preached. Crazy Jewish madman by the name of Saul of Tarsus gets knocked off his donkey on the Damascus Road one day and God miraculously and sovereignly saves him and taps him on the shoulder and makes him a preacher of the gospel and he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. He becomes Paul the Apostle. Many of you have believed because of the word of these that Jesus prayed for in that moment. And he said, not only for these, but I pray for those who will believe on me through these who are going to preach the word. 20 centuries later, That they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I'm wrapping it up so just hang with me just another second or two. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. Everybody say perfectly one. Now you know what? Unity is not uniformity. Does it mean everybody's the same? Look around this room. Ha! You can look at this room and know that God has a sense of humor. <laughs> look how different we are. Our, our ethnicity does not bind us together. Our socioeconomic status does not make us one Our our varying levels of education or life experiences are not what pulls us together on the same team. But it's the fact that everybody in this room to some degree or another has a heart and a hunger to know who Jesus Christ is and the God who sent him. And we've tasted of the well of eternal life. (laughs) Unity is not uniformity. It's an appreciation of diversity. It is red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in his sight. Thank God there is a body that can rise above racism and we can show the delta that grace is bigger than race. And it's bigger than your pocketbook and it's bigger than your education and it's bigger than your status. It's bigger than the the address where you live and the car you drive and the clothes you wear. It's bigger than all of that. Thank God it's bigger than all that stuff. We will not be gripped by consumerism. Mm. Verse 24. Like, Let me get three. 23. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know. Your marriage, husband, is supposed to demonstrate the love of Jesus. Wife, parents, children, brothers, sisters, fellow believers. We're able to lay down some of our distinctions, our diversities, and embrace a unity so that we can show the world that the kingdom of God really can overcome the stuff that literally still tries to divide everything in the delta. The haves and the have-nots, and the educated and the uneducated, and those that are of the right color or not. But I tell you, if God gives me favor to live very long, we will see the back of the plantation mentality destroyed in the Delta. I'm thankful that we are seeing people come into this place. I, I, let me just say to you, some of you that are different ethnicities, hang on—you might feel like you're the token Asian in the place. Where's, where's Colt? I love me some ninja. Where's Colt? I love—he's uh, my ninja. I love him. Thank God for Colt, my little Korean brother. And I'm, I'm thankful that as the populations of all of the people groups grow in this area, that we'll see representation of red and yellow, black and white. I love my little Latino youth pastor. Pastor Jeremy can bring it. Come on. He brings some spice to the table of God. You, you are not my token Asian. I just, it was just a joke. He came out to see what I was saying. He's pointing at me over there. But some of you that are here and maybe, maybe you're in a mixed marriage, thank God. We love you. We want to embrace you. We want to celebrate the diversity that's in this place. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? That the world may know. Let's be one. We're, we're not rallying around our politics. Oh, come on. We got we to graduate out of that. If, any idea that if you think you're a Christian, you have to be a part of either or political party because Jesus and the kingdom are bigger than either one of them. Come on, somebody. All right. I got I to finish. I got to finish. I'm already over. and The children's workers are going to be fussing at me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory. That you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Last two verses. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know you. That you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the bottom line. We walk out of here today. And it's that the world may know. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And love is defined in 1 Corinthians 13. It bears no ill. It keeps no record of wrongs. It won't gossip about a brother or sister. It won't go sit at lunch and have the pastor for lunch because he preached a little bit too long today. Somebody say Amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We, we make a decision that we're going to walk in forgiveness. We're going to walk in love. We're going to demonstrate love to each other. We're going to be a support system to our brothers and sisters. We're going, to be, we're going to be determined that we are a people who find a solution and not just point out a problem. I look at the world, and there seems to be this outrageous ratio. There's a whole lot more people with the gift to point out a problem than there are the people with the gift to fix it. I want to be a fixer. I want to be able to say, you know what? I don't know what you need, but I know the one who does know what you need, and his name is Jesus. And I can get you connected to another brother or sister in the body who's wrestled through and overcome what you're currently struggling with, and they can be an encouragement to you. They they can strengthen you in the struggle that you're in. I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, this thing sets me free. When the the opening prayer that Jesus prayed, I finished the work. There was all kinds of unrealistic expectations people had on Jesus all over the place. But he was just able to say, I'm not moved by that. I'm doing what I know you've called me to do. People expect crazy things out of their pastors. I'm not perfect, and I try to show you that every Sunday I struggle. I have to pull down thoughts. I have to make a decision to walk in forgiveness like everybody else in the room does. I need your prayers. I desperately need your prayers. The pastoral team... In a very real sense, if we could liken this body to a, to a spear with an arrow in the end, the pastoral, the pastoral team is literally cutting through the atmosphere on the, the tip of the spear and encountering and engaging spiritual warfare and attacks. We don't need somebody back here on the arrow making the arrow not fly straight because they're upset and mad and offended and gossiping. But if you've got an issue, go to the brother or sister you've got an issue with. And deal with it. And be mature about it. Don't act like a little junior high mean girl. Come on, I'm already over, so I'm in the hot water. I'm going to take a bath. (laughs) Are you hearing me this morning? One thing, it's one thing to have unrealized expectations. And if I've missed it, I want to know. And my heart's open. I'll hear and I want to help you. But it's something entirely crazy to have unrealistic expectations. I'm not your doctor, not your lawyer, not your grocery man, not your jeweler. Not your counselor. I'll do everything I can to help you. But you you know what? We need to go to Jesus and pray. We need to pray through and learn how to deal with some stuff. Can can somebody say amen to what I'm saying? I know I'm over and I'm finished. Bow your heads. (laughs) Jesus, thank you that you filled the gap that no man was ever found to fill. I thank you that You've given me the ability to pray and intercede and to stand in the gap for some things. But there's a lot of stuff I just can't be the gap man for. Jesus, that's you. And I I, want to point these people to the one who is the only real true gap man, the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Help me today. Help us, Spirit of God, in this last moment of this message as we close this morning there are people here under the sound of my voice the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder right now drawing you saying you are one of His the Father loved you before the foundation of the world and He's calling you Jesus said Himself this is eternal life that you may know God and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent do you have him in your heart very simply it's the answer to this question it's either yes or no he that has the son has life he that has not the son has no life and the wrath of God abides on him already in the closing moment of this a God man hung between heaven and earth became sin for us for you knew you by name 20 centuries before you were ever born because you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world And he's calling you this morning. He's calling you by name. He's calling his sheep by name, calling them out of the world. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Very simply, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. The law of God stands in your way and it accuses every one of us. God's requirement is complete, perfect holiness. And I'm not good enough and you're not good enough. And until we wake up and realize that we will try to live thinking we can earn it and we will miss it, The only thing we can earn are the wages of sin, and that's death. God's not interested in paying you wages you earn. He wants to give you a gift that you merely receive by faith. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, there's nothing magical about raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. All you're doing is letting me see so that I can pray for you in this room. If you're ready to cross the line of faith and you're saying, Pastor, I want to know that when I leave this place today that I have Jesus in my heart. He that has the Son has Zoe, eternal life. If that's you, slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Yes, thank you. I see that one. Anybody else? Anyone else in the room? Yes, thank you for helping me in the back, Billy. I see. There's another one over here. Anyone else? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we close this service this morning, in these last moments, thank you that you hung suspended between heaven and earth, and you died taking the place, the substitute for every one of us. Lord, these this morning who've raised their hands, who said, I want to know Jesus. This is all you have to do. Say these three words. Mean them from your heart. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save us. Deliver us. Thank you that you touched my brother and my sister. Right now, we make the choice and we turn from our past and we turn to you. Come into my heart, Jesus. Just pray those words. Come into my heart, Jesus. Save me. Forgive my sin. Father, thank you Now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, fill them with your presence, with the anointing. Come into them and abide and find your place of residence on the inside of my brother, my sister's heart. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. All the believers in the room this morning, every head still bowed, every eye still closed, just for one last second. You may be in that place where your soul is troubled, where you're vexed where there are things that are uncertain before you, maybe a report that you received, maybe waiting on some news. God is big enough. He is strong enough. He may not always stop the storm, but He will get in the boat with you in the middle of the storm and ride it out. Believers, under the sound of my voice this morning, You're in a storm and you need some strength. You need to know that Jesus is in the boat. Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. I know there's several in the room. Father, in Jesus' name, you've seen these circumstances that I've known of this week and I'm praying for. I lift them up as well, and these that have lifted their hand. Jesus, thank you for believers in this room. The night you knelt and prayed this in Gethsemane, you prayed for these who would believe on their word. Touch my brothers and sisters, strengthen them, lift them up, and encourage them. Go before them this week, waiting for the news. We give you praise. Thank you that by and through you, everything is going to be all right. We give you honor and glory. All of God's people said, Amen. I know I'm just a little bit over this morning. If you would bring the